Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello, I'm Arvind Hickman and welcome to the PR Weekly, your fix of PR industry news, analysis and gossip. I'm joined by my colleague John Harrington, editor of PR Week UK. Today we are going to discuss pinkwashing during Pride, Naomi Osaka's very public withdrawal and how it has been handled, and MNC Saatchi Group's recovery. A bit later in the show, we have the founders of two agencies who launched during COVID to discuss how challenging it has been and what their futures look like. John, you were away last week. Did you go anywhere interesting? Uh, I did. I went to um, Brighton. Uh, Just before we started recording, we were talking about the quality of beaches in Brighton and surfing opportunities because Lindsay, who's recording this, um, went to Cornwall uh, the weekend, just gone. And I think we were both very jealous of that uh, to go surfing. Absolutely. So there wasn't any surfing, but there was um, a fair amount of drinking and merriment. So it was really good fun. But yes, I was listening to Cummings come and go as as with the reception as I as I went down on the train to Brighton um and it was it was fascinating I'm very I'm very glad actually that he said uh, how you know it wasn't uh, uh an, an error of comms in terms of uh the the covid covid problems but um other than that I didn't get to hear all of it but yeah uh but it was interesting well I think he was he was blaming the, the blaming the chaos basically on on really poor leadership essentially wasn't he you know the policies changing left right and center um which is understandable i mean if you, i know i know lots of people have different views about about um the cummings revelations and and whether he's a bit of a hypocrite and obviously the answer is probably yes but I did feel that quite a lot of what he said sounds quite plausible, given the way things panned out. And even if you might argue that he's a hypocrite and argue that he did um, falter when he when he went on his drive to Barnard Castle and what have you, and that he probably, you know, is part of creating the problem, I still think there are a lot of important lessons to be learnt that I'm, I'm just slightly concerned won't be learnt because of the tribal nature of, of politics and the world that we live in. Yes, I agree. Um, it was, I mean, it was it was captivating and it was it was absolutely damning, wasn't it? Um, I mean, I wonder what would have happened if uh, the the recent elections happened uh, a day or two after this session, um, if there would have been much, much change in how much the sort of um, public opinion of the government has changed. I mean, I, I saw that some opinion polls have um, swung a bit further against Tory party 
um, as a result of the hearing. I mean, I don't know how long that will last, frankly. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because my sense is that a lot of people that decided to swing towards Johnson did so on a Brexit ticket. And, they, you know, they kind of like dug their heels in. I don't know if it would have made a huge amount of difference, to be honest. Probably not. Probably not. And I wonder if, you know, a lot of the opinion polls, uh, when people respond to them, maybe they say things that, you know, instinctively they're annoyed at the government because of what they did and they're angry. But when it comes down to it, you know, in months or years time, even if they are still feeling the same, they might, you know, the anger would have subsided um, and perhaps they have a different approach to things. It's, it's difficult to tell, isn't it? It is indeed. And another thing that's been captivating that happened over the weekend was Japanese tennis star Naomi Osaka, the number two ranked player in women's tennis, but many regard her as probably the best. Um, She pulled out of the French Open, citing concerns about her mental health. But Grand Slam tournament directors responded by threatening her with more substantial fines and future Grand Slam suspensions. In her statement, Osaka writes that she has suffered with long bouts of depression since 2018. Osaka says she is going to take some time away from the court and she wants to talk with tour officials about ways to make things better for players, for press and for fans as well. Uh, now, you know, it is mandatory for tennis stars to front up to press after each match or they risk being fined. And initially, some commentators and pundits had criticised Osaka for the way she communicated her concerns about the media. Um, she chose to publish it on social media um, rather than go through sort of official channels with tennis authorities. But the response from authorities has, um, you know, come across as lacking empathy. Uh, today, John, as you might have noticed, we had a really well um, recent comment piece from Calicus boss David Alexander about how Osaka's comms had improved with a second statement that she released announcing that she would withdraw and that she needed time out from tennis to look after her mental health concerns. Um, what's your take in this, John, in terms of the Osaka thing and, and sort of how it played out? Yeah, well, my first observation was um, when I was watching it unfold, how it immediately became a culture war battleground. You see this so often these days, don't you? Um, so many of the responses were bi- binary. Either it's Piers Morgan saying Osaka is behaving like a princess and she should be take more responsibility, or it was others saying how brave she is to discuss mental health and criticising the uncaring kind of tennis establishment and the media. Um, I mean, I don't think either of these views are entirely right. Um, as David pointed out, she probably should have gone about her comms in a different way initially. Then again, it's, it certainly seems true that the tennis authorities came across as entirely lacking in compassion. But as I say, what it shows to me is the level of discourse at the moment and when everything is filtered through social media bubbles. Um, it, one, one key question really is, has it improved her her reputation. Uh, I mean, maybe it's not the key question, but it's an interesting one. And and on this point, I think it depends where you come from. I think if you live in the broadly sort of liberal kind of social media bubble that we do, um, which, you know, let's face it, we do, undoubtedly, yes, I think, you know, she's an extremely talented sports person shining a light on, on a crucial area of, of mental health. Um, but unfortunately, social media isn't, isn't the real world in many cases. And I imagine a lot of people will take Piers Morgan's line that it's hard to have too much sympathy for... Um, a multimillionaire who appears healthy during the time of pandemic. And I actually think there are very few celebrity-led campaigns these days that seem to unite both sides of the culture war. I think the nearest probably is Marcus Rashford's campaign on, on school meals. Yeah, I, th- I think part of, part of the problem with this one, it's, it's a very complex issue. And, and I think part of the, the problem is when you do something that may rightly or wrongly be perceived as attacking the media or attacking the press, um, as this case was, even though I, I don't believe that was her intentions, 
um, you are going to get, you know, the red tops and, and certain sections within the media who will then push back. Um, and, and that's clearly what's happened here. Um, I, I think it raises quite a number of really interesting issues. Um, and, and, you know, Jonathan Liu at The Guardian wrote an excellent piece about um, sports press conferences and how they, they kind of need an overhaul and how, you know, journalists are not generally the good guys. And, and, and I, kind of, I kind of agree with that. You know, I used to be a, a football reporter and, and sat through many of these press conferences where they'd ask the most inane pointless obvious questions and then sometimes i'd get a little bit weird and creepy when they were trying to find out things about people's personal lives and that sort of stuff so i can certainly understand the the athlete's point of view but i can also kind of understand why it is important they do engage with the media i guess one of the interesting things here is you know that that whole dynamic is shifting It, it used to be perhaps where the media had um a lot more importance or power as a conduit for fans and you know to connect sort of fans with athletes in in terms of what they were saying but now you're seeing a lot of athletes and celebrities who are using social media to communicate directly which is what Osaka did in this occasion and she probably didn't quite go about it the right way around because she didn't you know advise authorities ahead of time so that that, that's another interesting dynamic isn't it how we're seeing athletes now who are trying to sidestep the media uh, and and sort of create their own narrative and, and speak when they want to speak yeah I mean and this can be a hugely effective way a lot of the time you know it really offers a way for athletes and other celebrities um as well to connect with fans directly to get their, their right tone of voice to be in control of what they do um and to come across as being authentic but it can be risky i mean i i don't know if asaka discussed what she was doing first with her pr team but as she acknowledged herself the first statement probably wasn't the right way to go about it so i mean there are upsides and downsides to this and um, just as there are upsides and downsides to engaging with the media I mean, I also think that the, this whole episode shows the difficulties um, around comms and mental health. I mean, it's it's a very difficult area to discuss. I've seen lots of posts saying you wouldn't expect her to have uh, an interview if she'd just broken her arm or whatever. I mean, the, the trouble is broken arms are much easier to diagnose and for people to understand. Um, I'm no expert on, but as far as I can tell, mental health comes in many forms and it has many different symptoms. Some of them we, we can't tell and we will never be able to tell as an outside observer. So... From my point of view, either we say if someone has mental health problems, as opposed to, let's say, being upset at a particular time after losing a match, then we should believe them. And then that will um, somehow get them out of all their contracted media commitments. On the other extreme, we say they need a letter from a doctor or something. Otherwise, we won't believe them. I mean, the latter is clearly too harsh, but I don't think the former is necessarily ideal as well, because you could imagine times when that could be exploited. I, I personally think sports governing bodies need to kind of codify their procedures around this when dealing with mental health in regards to the media um, as well as other things. Otherwise, it feels like media and sports stars and governing bodies are kind of in limbo on this issue um, a little bit. Yeah, and, and I really think that the way that the tennis authorities responded by basically threatening her, you know, finding her, which, 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 okay, fair enough, they find every player that doesn't turn up to press conferences, but then actually threatening to kick her out of the open. I mean, I, I thought that was really, really poor, to be honest. When someone has expressed that they're having concerns about their mental health, um, to, to respond by threatening them was, was a really low blow. Um, it's, it, you know, it's ended up where she felt she has been backed into a corner and, and she's had to take some time away from tennis to look after this um, problem that she has, uh, these health these health issues, which I think was was very courageous of her. And I, I don't think the tennis authorities have come away from this looking particularly, particularly great. Um, and I think it's really important through all this that we do remember why, you know, this has come about. You know, the amount of pressure that some athletes face, you know, she's a relatively young, name is Zaka. She's got so many endorsements and commitments, um, you know, outside of tennis. 
she's really stretched thin, I'm sure, in terms of, um, you know, different brands trying to pull her in certain directions, the media trying to pull her in certain directions. Then the fact that she's a, a famous tennis player and she has to, has, you know, invest time in that. Maybe, you know, there, there really needs to be more effort in, in terms of helping um, young athletes uh, with the mental health side of their games or the mental side of, side of them. So I really think, you know, at the end of the day, I think this is a really positive thing, the fact that she has taken this step. And I hope it does inspire, you know, authorities and, and sport in general to to reconsider the way it sort of treats athletes in these situations. I also think we shouldn't sort of consider that the authorities and the media are necessarily always entirely at blame for these things. I mean, it strikes me that, yeah, I mean, someone like Osaka is going to have a huge number of commitments, you know, commercially as well as media and, you know, let's face it, her day job training and um, and playing matches. I mean, I think there's a point at which her management probably need to say, let's not do that commercial deal. Let's hold back on that. Let's not exploit um, this individual for all they're worth. It's almost like sports stars can become kind of their own brands and their own machines, but they're not machines, they're individuals. So I think that while... Yeah, I completely agree. The tennis authorities come out looking very bad in this instance. Um, and there's a huge amount of sympathy that everyone should have for, for Naomi. I also think there is a wider question about how much the sports industry um, expects of individual sports stars. And that is a wider question than a particular uh, sports event or a particular individual. Absolutely. And, and I, I very much as a journalist, accept that the media has a role here as well. I mean, if you look at some of the stories that, that are circulating about certain footballers, it's absolutely ridiculous. There is a lot of pressure. But yeah, it, it's definitely a wider issue. And, you know, um, hats off to Naomi for, for taking a stand on this. It, it's really important. And, and I hope it does inspire positive change. Now, I wanted to move along to Pride Month and pinkwashing. And this is obviously an annual gripe from the industry about sort of misappropriating LGBTQ plus culture and space. Spaces, um, by corporates and, and, uh, and other brands. Uh, Stephen Strickland, the founder of Talker Taylor Troublemaker, wrote an excellent piece in PR Week about this issue and what it means to be a gay man in PR. Um, so I just want to read a part of his, a part of his um, op-ed. He said, There is a small positive in every negative use of our identity for profit, and while not right, hopefully those that make mistakes, intentionally or naively, uh, disrespectfully appropriating culture for cash, are weeded out by a collective. And his advice is to sort of live life through empathetic eyes. What is your view on Pride Month and how some brands tend to hijack it inauthentically? Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's weird, isn't it? Each year we have these warnings about pinkwashing, as it, as you mentioned, as, as it's called. And um, I mean, I, we're only, when, as we record this, it's only the 2nd of June. I'm not sure we've seen any so far that have struck us as being particularly bad or missing the mark, but it's it's still early. Um I mean, I think the principles for activity around pride are like the principles really for any campaign linked to a progressive cause or a purpose. I think you need to ask yourself a few questions. Are you backing up your campaign with concrete action to help the cause and the communities in question? Have you discussed it directly with people affected by it? Do you have members of the communities in question on your team? For what it's worth, my view is brands shouldn't be scared to get involved with activities around Pride Month. I mean, I think... We're at a stage where we should be comfortable with commercial organisations getting involved in progressive causes. Um, I don't think that's a problem per se, but they just need to make sure they they do it right and they do it uh, with with the right intentions. 
Yeah, it's a really good point that you raised there. And of course, it's not just um, pride where brands are looking for these opportunities to almost sort of, oh, I hate to use the term hijack, but sort of lend, lend themselves towards, I mean, there was that famous case about that statue in New York with, with the girl and the bull, basically trying to symbolize um, the gender pay gap and, and how there needs to be greater equality. But the firm that actually commissioned that <laughs> had a problem with, with, with its own pay gap. So I guess the key here is authenticity, isn't it really? Yeah, I mean, it is. Um I think that a sort of there's a wider point here that I know that when we wrote about sort of the, the the rise of purpose marketing a kind of maybe two or three years ago the point that was made quite a few times was it hasn't come out of a vacuum um it a lot of kind of purpose and good cause sort of activities from brands come at a time when a lot of um governments around the world are cutting back on the amount they invest in causes and in helping people so it's almost like brands are kind of stepping in to do the right thing in various different communities. And this is a very broad point. It doesn't necessarily relate to, to Pride specifically. I mean, I'm not sure. I, I would argue that maybe that that isn't quite the case as much at the moment, simply because the huge amount of government involvement in people's lives during the COVID pandemic. But I do think I do think it's an interesting point that still holds to some extent. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, right, some positive news to kick off the summer, or what we hope is summer. It's been, it's been a few days of sunshine. Um, MNC Saatchi Group appears to be in better shape financially. Now, John, you wrote about this um, the other day. Can you give us a bit of a rundown? What's going on at MNC? Yeah, so, I mean, we haven't heard much from the listed groups in the last couple of weeks. We had their results a bit before that. But, um, yeah, we, we had an upbeat assessment from MNC this week. comes ahead of its sort of full results announcement at the end of the month. It says trading ahead of expectations for the first four months of the year. New business described as robust, secured a £47 million financing deal, which sounds nice. Um, I mean, there's obviously a background to this, the, the finance, uh, the sort of accounting scandal that sort of started in uh, 2019 and um, led to quite an upheaval in the sort of senior team and so on last year. It's all us, also us saying that MSC Saatchi spans Marcoms, so um, it's not just about PR by any means. Um, but it definitely chimes with what... Um, what I've heard from MNC Saatchi Talk, one of its PR agencies, uh, which formed uh, via merger last year. Um, I mean, that agency had had a pretty bad 2020. Revenue fell by a third, but it's gone from famine to feast as the sort of end of last year and the start of this year uh, began. It's uh, been it's been really strong. Lots of new business opportunities and also made several big highs recently. Got a new head of consumer, new head of growth. And this is part of the wider theme we're seeing of agencies building their senior teams for the opportunities ahead. So I think there is, as I say, this isn't just about one one agency or one holding company, but I think it's it's a microcosm of a lot of the things that are going on out there. And, and on that theme, you know, it's probably worth congratulating the two new MDs at Harvard, George Greenspan and uh, Lorna Hughes. Um, we had a story on their, their appointment this week, which follows the promotion of Eddie Thompson to CEO um, recently as well at the tech-focused agency. So again, more agencies building their teams, taking advantage of what will hopefully be an opportunity to um, claw back some some revenue and some profit um, in the months ahead compared to obviously the extremely difficult time we had in, in 2020. So uh, yeah, let's be positive. The sun's shining. People are being hired. Results are sounding good. Let's uh, Let's be positive. Fantastic. Well, thanks for joining us this week, John. And our next segment, we're going to take a look at agencies that started during COVID. In the past year, more than 50 PR agencies launched, according to a new study by Wadzink. 
and PR Week recently profiled several of these COVID startups. There were some obvious challenges in trying to onboard and manage a workforce virtually, but there were also some upsides in terms of pitching and COVID being hailed as a great leveller. Joining me to discuss this is Richard Tompkins and Felix Henderson. Richard is a co-founder of Where Eagles Dare and Felix helped launch the Look After Group. Thank you both for joining us. Yeah, good to be here. Good to be here. Great to be here, Arvind. Great. Now, a global pandemic that shuts down large parts of the economy, including a protracted lockdown across the UK, does not sound like the ideal time to launch a new business. Some folks might think you're both crazy. Richard, why did you decide to set up Where Eagles Dare when you did last year? Uh, I think one of the things that you'll probably hear from a lot of a lot of those agencies that set up was that that, that we'd always planned to to launch. Um, I'd certainly obviously spent a lot of time at uh, certainly previous agencies and had come to the conclusion that, that that doing something for myself with some partners was the way to go. We made that decision towards the back end of uh, 2019. So when we finally kind of pushed the button in uh, the start of 2020, we hadn't planned for any of this to to sort of come about. Um, so so really for us, it was something that was a, a kind of a bit of a nuisance rather than uh, as a something to react to. Okay. Uh, having a look at the list of agencies that launched last year, there's quite a lot of triple-barreled names and quite a number of them involved animals. Um, I have to ask you, how did you guys come up with the name Where Eagles Dare? Uh, to be honest, the the name came from uh, it's a Richard the Third Shakespeare quote, which also was then uh, the, the inspiration for a, a war film, which I'm a fan of. But um, so yeah, the, the the name came from that. We were looking for something that uh, you know sound, sounded good, obviously, but at its heart had something that was sort of inspirational. We're about trying to take brands and businesses up to the next level, um, and so it felt felt like a good way to go. Okay, fantastic. Felix, the Look After Group had a slightly different start to life. Um, essentially, it was sort of set up as a non-profit to help um, cash-strapped organizations with PR during the crisis. Um, in fact, I spoke to your business partner, Nick Young. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. At the time he was looking to set it up. Um, and, and he was sort of doing it in between jobs. Uh, I just want you to sort of take us through that early process and, and how it sort of evolved from this um, non-for-profit into a bona fide um, PR business. Sure. I mean, in many ways, it's it's completely the opposite to, um, you know, to the way Richard came about. This, this was unplanned uh, in many senses. This was purely reactive. 
Um, and this was us viewing COVID as a bit of an opportunity initially to do something good. So Nick and I used to work together about three, four years ago uh, at a very different business. And we'd stayed close ever since. We hadn't worked together after we both left that place. But when Nick was in between jobs, having left one agency for another um, and was left in a bit of a difficult situation, he obviously decided it was time to see if he could put his, his free time and skills to use um, to help businesses and charities either you know, putting something towards the COVID effort or just struggling. He put a, a LinkedIn post out, which got a huge amount of traction in a short period of time. Um, I contacted Nick within the first 24 hours and said, hey, look, if you need some help, I'm on furlough as well. Let's get into this. And we built what was effectively a hybrid agency of, you know, at its peak, about 200, 250 people, all working pro bono for a variety of charities and industries such as mental health, domestic violence. We work with the NHS. We work with uh, food and drink businesses uh, in the UK doing their bit to help the coronavirus relief effort. Um, and we ran this hybrid agency doing work for free um, to, to put people's skills to use and help businesses through, through the pandemic. From then, it was Graham Goodkind, who, who's now the non-exec director of our, of our you know, full, sort of full service agency, uh, who was obviously the owner of Frank when Nick used to work who came to us and said, guys, look, I think there's really a space here for something that focuses purely on ethical and positive social work. I think there could be an opportunity that this pandemic creates for young people to put their creativity to the fore and, and try and kind of mitigate the experience factor that might have been more prevalent previously. So we just decided why not do it? And it was the 1st of September last year that we made that full transition from pro bono you know, initiative into full service agency. Okay, let's have a bit of an update on where you're at, Felix. How much have you grown the business um, since then? I mean, you know, a huge amount. So I mean, initially, when we first started the, the previous business, it was all about building a hybrid business. So one that it embraced the kind of freelance and consultant model that was Gonna, that was going to explode as a result of COVID and seeing if we could build a hybrid agency. We're still retaining a bit of that, but we are moving now back towards a, a traditional agency. So at the moment, there are about seven members of the team working full-time in a combination of, um, of kind of hybrid and full-time capacity. Um, and we work with clients across a really, really broad spectrum. So we work with clients in the food and drink space, a couple of plant-based brands, uh, in the pharmaceutical space, sustainable fashion. Um, and we also work with two sort of global businesses. The type of work is incredibly diverse uh, and the team is looking to grow, you know, at a rate of kind of two, three people every couple of months going, going through this year. Okay, can you name one or two of your clients? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the first campaigns that we did, which kind of put us on the map a little bit, was uh, a plant-based business called Neat Burger, um, who are, are a fast food chain in, in London. They're backed by Lewis Hamilton, and it's very much his way of, of trying to kind of, you know, a take on the plant-based revolution. We also work with a company called Jack and Brian, who are again a plant-based business making everything out of jackfruit. Um, we run all of the social accounts for a connected vehicle data business called um, WeJo, who are the world's leading uh, business in connected vehicle data. They work with about 10.5 million cars in the US every single day. Um, and so we're trying to bring that to life in a way that consumers understand. And we've also just started working with a uh, effectively a medical marijuana business based out in Greece called Hellenic Dynamics, um, who are not so much the product makers themselves, but are supplying the pharmaceutical companies across Europe in the pursuit of hopefully the legalization and, and um, active prescription of medical cannabis as a treatment on the NHS. Richard, can you give us an update on how Where Eagles Dare has grown and some of your clients? Yeah, absolutely. We're, so so we obviously launched in September 2020. Um, within the first, I guess, few months, we were we were lucky enough to pick up some some big clients um, with the likes of Bid Food, which is a food uh, wholesale business, which was converting into a consumer proposition, which they'd launched during the pandemic. And we were supporting on how they were delivering that. Um, we've expanded our 
staff. So we are now similar to Felix. Um, Seven's obviously the magic number at the moment, um, which are both full and part-time. Again, operating with that kind of flexible kind of working model. Some people wanting to do kind of less days than others. And yeah, in terms of kind of revenue, we've been quite fortunate with the clients that we've got on board who have enabled us to to kind of post some relatively relatively good numbers, which were kind of above expectations, really. So we're, we're, we're on course to hopefully hit around about 750 by the end of the the kind of first the first year of being in trading which is which which when we sort of sat down and did our projections I think we'd have been um yeah we'd have been sort of high-fiving each other if we knew that was going to be the case um after the first year okay can you take us through some of the major challenges that you've encountered launching and running a PR business during COVID yeah I think the 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 biggest one is is obviously the the kind of remote working um I think we all we all sat there and whilst the world was all locked down um, spent a lot more time with our families whilst working. The work-life balance was fantastic, and to some extent, we're 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 learning from that, and we're keeping that in, in how we're kind of growing and evolving. But not being able to spend the, that time, um, you know, with you know my fellow founders as well as our kind of new staff as they were coming in and being onboarded and working on accounts, as well as working with clients, you know, you miss out on those kind of serendipitous conversations. The the kind of the bits of inspiration that might hit you sat across a desk. It's far harder to do when you're doing it across a Zoom call or you know through a WhatsApp um, uh, WhatsApp messaging. So, I think for us that that's been one of the one of the biggest challenges. Um, it's been it's had its positives, obviously being 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 a being on the other side of the, the um, uh, being being kept at home. Obviously, any startup business looks at their the costs that are going to be associated. We haven't had those office costs for for a good few months, which is why you know it's it, it's made it I guess slightly easier for us. But uh, but yeah, certainly that face to face interaction with clients and staff has been the the biggest challenge for us. Okay, Felix, have you found that as well? Have you found this sort of lack of like a face to face a major challenge, or, or what are some of the challenges that you've you've um, observed over this over this time? I mean, Richard touches on on many of the same ones that we faced, uh, and I think so many businesses have faced that as well. I think in addition to that, if I was going to build on that, you know, I think key to any business starting out, I think particularly one where the founders have not been in the industry that long and might have a limited network compared to other businesses, is is getting out there and meeting people. Um, And the ability to grow business, the ability to win clients is so dependent on that face-to-face interaction, Um, particularly with a less experienced business a client is so much more incentivized to take a chance on someone if they can effectively you know, look them in the white of the eyes um, and see what they're made of. And so I think that certainly posed a challenge in the early phases. And then I also think hiring, you know, especially for sort of more junior roles and especially roles which are going to be really fundamental at the very start of your growth of a business. You're looking for experience, you're looking for expertise, but you're actually hiring a person and a personality. And to try and gauge that over Zoom or think, is this person right for us? you know, over a kind of virtual networking setup. I don't think it has the same effect. And having said that, we're really lucky. The people that are working with us now are absolutely fantastic. And we appear to kind of get got over that. But, um, you know, yeah, there have been challenges. But on the flip side, as I'm sure we'll get onto later, there are, there are also a load of positives and opportunities that come out of a different setup and a different environment. Let's touch on the opportunities now. Uh, Richard obviously mentioned the fact that you don't have um, to cover rent. So there's obviously some cost savings there, which, which I can imagine would be very beneficial for a startup. What are some of the other major opportunities that you've, you've found during this COVID period? So I think we can split these up into kind of more general business opportunities that are not necessarily specific to Look After Group and also some opportunities that are specific to us and our offering and what we do. For me, it sounds silly, but one of them was time. 
you know, when you start a business, you have so many little things that need your attention in the early months. And often in the bustle and buzz of growing in the real world, these kind of get kicked down the list very easily. But if your glamorous Thursday night is spent at your kitchen table, you know, running out of Netflix series to watch and nothing to do with that gritty task, you have that focused, dedicated time to just crack on. I also think that time gives you an opportunity to think and to reflect at home, you know, without the distraction of the outside world, you seldom get time to stop in this entrepreneurial environment. So I found that very, very useful. Um, and I think location as well. You know, our biggest client that I mentioned earlier, Weijo, are based in Manchester. And I would guess that they may well have looked for representation in their local area in a previous environment. Um, whereas now we've got so used to this remote working setup that they've, t- they've brought us on board and, and we work with them extensively from a completely different city. And, and I think that might have been less likely to happen before. Um, and then for us specifically, you know, as I said at the start, we, we focus on, as we call it, purpose-led fame for ethically minded brands. And this COVID pandemic has changed a lot of perspectives out there. The world is different. You know, COVID advanced a lot of that positive social change and it sharpened our minds to what was truly important and worth fighting for. And both of some of the work Richard does and obviously what we do at We Look After, I think that's helped us become much more of a natural fit in terms of business for this new world and allow people to say, hang on, I'm going to prioritise a passion about, you know, positive social advancement uh, and creativity and youth and determination on top of what I might have previously prioritised, which would have been experience. Okay, Richard. Some interesting opportunities there, Felix mentions. It's been mentioned to me as well um, that the sort of use or, or reliance on video conferencing technology is a bit of a, a great leveler um, for small startups. Um, they can compete in, in a pitching environment, for example, um, as effectively as more larger, more established agencies. Uh, would you agree with that? And what are some of the opportunities that, that you've noticed um, operating during COVID? Uh, I think, to be honest, with you, I would I would both agree and disagree, which is probably not the um, not not, not the, uh, the best answer to give. But in terms of, I mean, one thing that that Felix touched upon in terms of networking and as a as a probably a younger business, well, the uh, people within the business being younger, we we actually found that that we had a lot more time for the networking and caught up with a lot more people, both across the industry and also potential new business opportunities, because people weren't you know tied up in lunches and long meetings and traveling all over the place and so you found that it was far easier to get into the diaries of those kind of cmos and ceos um diaries than than you probably would have done um which has ultimately led on to us having several opportunities to work with businesses where we we actually didn't have to pitch because the relationship was you know it was there but we had to kind of build upon it we had the opportunity through the pandemic through video conferencing um and and sort of phone calls and more time to to sort of land those land those pieces of um pieces of work and then i guess to sort of uh, come back to my first point on the on the flip side of it the the biggest the biggest thing and as felix touched upon is that face-to-face contact and clients seeing the whites of your eyes even if they've met you before or they know you through another connection it's so much more powerful particularly at something like a chemistry sage to be able to sit in a room and you know to sort of feel the energy and to bounce ideas around that maybe aren't part of you know a, a slideshow that's on screen where you've got you know four very small sort of postage stamp uh, kind of pictures of the clients that you're you're talking to trying to gauge a reaction or is there something you you know a takeoff point or something that they're they could mention or how do you kind of bring them into that so there there are positives in it in in so much as being able to talk to a lot more people but i do think the the kind of need to get back to -to face-to-face chemistry meetings and pitching is is something we're we're super super keen to do 
There's also been quite a bit of talk about um, using this sort of COVID opportunity to reset business models. Is that something that you believe in? Do you believe in having a startup at this time that you've been able to, to sort of reset thinking around what an agency business model looks like? Completely. I think I think look, I, I've I've come up probably through one of the most traditional ways, you know, from a uh, a kind of work experience a very very long time ago, all the way up to to being an MD and and leading a business, and so that that puts you in a very kind of traditional mindset. And so the the easiest thing to do is to to when setting up a business is to look. All right, how do I get to the way that that agency was in its second year, third year, fourth year. And and that would have felt very, very traditional in terms of structure and the way that we approached it. And actually the the the, the, the pandemic and the way that we were working and, and have been working with both staff and clients has made us sort of look at it and reset what we, we should be doing. And it's made us fundamentally change the structure of how we are going to be working. You know, we're, we've signed up to the office definitely not being somewhere where we will be on a Friday. So there will never be a kind of where Eagles Air Friday office unless there's something dramatic or a huge pitch that needs to be responded to. That will be a thing that we'll keep. Um, you know, we're, we're signing up to a sort of three days working um, face-to-face within an office environment. And and that's kind of a given, but anything outside of that is by by choice. Um, and also the we're listening, I think, far more than we probably ever would have done to the staff that we're bringing on board from their experiences over the last 18 months. You know, what are the things that they either had in their past agencies or, you know, they're looking for from a from a current business and how we can kind of best meet those needs? Because, you know, that balance between work and, and home life is, you know, has had a massive, I would say shine a light. It's probably a sort of a huge sun that's been kind of blown on our faces that that it is important and you can still function you can still deliver award-winning work even when you're not in the office this kind of presenteeism thing is is really for for us a thing of the past we're not checking people in at certain times and checking them out and you know that's that's them doing a good job it's are they delivering on what we expect them to Okay. Felix, you mentioned before about your hybrid working model. Can you sort of elaborate on that and and how you believe that the sort of PR business model or agency business model, I should say, um, will evolve in the future? Yeah, I I think I agree with pretty much everything Richard said. I mean, I think you could bring it, you know, beyond this PR industry and and say that business models of the future across the board. For us to build on what Richard said already, um, the key word in the culture and company we're trying to build is trust. Because you know, in a hybrid business model, we, we, we started at look after you know hybridly at home. We were in full lockdown when it first began, and and it was about four months until Nick and I even got to spend some time together at the start, which feels slightly astonishing now. Um, but it's about trust. You know, we've just moved into our first office space in Soho in central London, and and the purpose of this space is to act as a hub, not to act as somewhere where people have to be you know nine till five every single day. It's a place where if you want to come in and collaborate and get involved come in if you want to be at home stay at home you know create the best work environment for you and at the, at the bottom of all of that is a trust that you're going to do everything you can to to make an incredible work and 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 you know do your clients proud and do look after proud and and um, and, and work in the vision of the business we've set up and, and if we've got that and if everyone buys into that then personally we don't mind where that work goes on you know it can be a lot of people have embraced this abroad working model you know they can work in portugal for a month really for all i care as long as as long as they're they're involved they're part of the team they're working really really hard and the output is stuff that we can that we can be proud of and and i think you'll see most businesses doing that whether it's big corporates scaling down to half the office space they might have had before 
and allowing a flexible working model to startup businesses that may never have an office and will always operate a hybrid model that we will never go back to the to the same way it, it was before it'll become a matter of personal preference and the businesses that embrace that i think are the businesses that will succeed yeah it's an interesting point that you raise about how things will change in the future there was a bit of research by the prca that came out uh this week uh, which uh, polled senior PR leaders, and only 5% said that they would um, continue with a five-day working week. The majority, um, you know, 95%, opted for some form of hybrid working, whether it was two days, three days, four days, or, or they weren't really sure. So I guess that is definitely the way that things are heading. Now, I wanted to ask both of you, um, before we have to wrap up, about your future plans. How does How is trading currently going, and, and what sort of optimism do you have for the future of your business? Um, I'll start off with you, Felix. Yeah, I mean, you know, we've been very fortunate. Um, we sort of hit the ground running in many senses. We were lucky to win a big, a couple of big, big clients at the start that have really propelled us on to continue to win a lot of really exciting new business and new projects. And um, we've kept growing month on month from September right until now. And our ambition is very, very much for that to continue. Um, you know, I see it in two ways. It, it sounds quite cliche. Like in many senses, the reason we've come from initiative to this stage, you know, to a successful a growing business in its early form is because we've been focused and we've just taken each project each day as it comes, smash what's in front of us, worked as hard as we possibly could to put out work that we're proud of. And we believe that if we do that, we'll get the opportunity to make big, important decisions about our future because we'll reach that stage. So the ambition is still to grow. The ambition is to grow at a pace. Uh, the ambition is to capitalise on our youth, our nimbleness, all the great things that you have of being a startup. Um, and and keep growing month on month. And you know, if in a couple of years' time I'm I'm sat talking to you again, Arvind, and we're a business with 30, 35 people, then then fantastic. We'll have achieved the growth trajectory and the plan that we that we've set ourselves and we'd like to. Okay, Richard, um, what what is your outlook for where Eagles Dare? I think we're 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 really really positive and very very optimistic about about things. I think we, uh, you know, much, much like Felix with the, the kind of the way that they the, the business was set up, our kind of proposition to, to sort of focus around working with businesses and brands with integrity at their heart, um, who are, who are looking to sort of not just take from consumers and culture and society, but be able to put something meaningful back in was a position that we felt very, very strongly about and has already kind of born a kind of, uh, some positive responses from the clients that we've brought on board, you know, the likes of, uh, the innocence of the world the bid foods the casillos and lots of the kind of startups that we've got who are in a sort of circular economy space it means that the kind of concept has, has sort of been proven some to, in some respect so now for us the tra- trajectory is to to kind of continue to grow um i think we've been as i said very very positive with with what's come through the door um our our hopes are that that you know much like felix maybe we should have a competition with that we'll, we'll do this in a year's time and see who's at 30 and who's at 35 um but to, to kind of continue to grow but grow in the right way and grow by doing the right type of work with the right type of people and hiring the right type of people you know we we don't want to become a you know an agency that's got many many numbers but they're at a very very junior level putting out kind of product placement we want to be delivering work that's driving kind of actual kind of business change um and that's that's almost more of our ambition than just the bottom line number
I'm afraid that's all we have time for today. If you'd like to read more about any of our major stories this week, please visit our website, prweek.com forward slash UK. I'd like to thank our guests, Richard and Felix, for joining us and my usual sparring partner, John. Also, a big thank you to our producer, Lindsay Riley from Rethink Audio. Thank you for listening, and we hope you can join us next week. Until then, I'm Arvin Hickman. Goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.